Hi there. You know, sometimes in life, it's difficult to know the things you're supposed to do. It's not easy, you know, sometimes to fulfill all the duties and responsibilities that fall upon us. We can face all sorts of pressures all the time. But you know what? What's true of everyday life can also be true about our spiritual life. What's interesting to me is that when God wants us to do things and we don't do them, sometimes he has rather interesting ways of making sure we get what needs to be done, done. And what I want us to do today is take a story that illustrates what I'm talking about, one that has a lot of twists and turns. And I'm going to suggest that it has a really surprised ending. Welcome to the Bible Project Daily Podcast. Hi friends, as I said, we're about to launch off in a new chapter today. We're going to be covering chapter Genesis chapter 31 over the next three episodes, looking at this story of Jacob and his wives and the relationships with his father, a chap called Laban. And we're going to be covering the text of all of Genesis chapter 31 over the next three episodes. Now, sometimes it's difficult in life for any of us to discern and interpret what we should be doing and even when we do sometimes we don't do all the things that we really know in our hearts we ought to do it's not easy you know sometimes to fill all our duties and responsibilities just in the world itself the duties that we have we really sometimes can have a pressure and pulling them off and getting everything done i think we all feel under pressure at times but what's true of life and the everyday is even more so when it comes to thinking about our spiritual life. Sometimes God really wants us to do things, and sometimes we struggle to do that which we know God wants us to do. But what's interesting to me is that sometimes when there are things that God wants us to do, he comes up with rather interesting ways to ensure that we do them, particularly if it's something that we should have done in the first place. Now, if you're thinking, what in the world is he talking about? Well, we're going to look at a story that illustrates, I believe, these very points. It's one that has a lot of twists and turns in it. And I'm going to suggest that when we get towards the end of it, you'll find there's a bit of a reveal, a bit of a surprise ending. So I invite your attention as we work together through Genesis chapter 31. Now, before we launch off, I'll just give a quick recap of where we are. If you recall, Jacob had gone, fled his homeland and had gone to this far country in the east and he meets a man called Laban who turns out to be a relative of his. Now Laban is married and has two daughters and at this point in the story God is revealing to Jacob that he wants him back in the land that he originally came from. That's where the Lord wanted him to be, probably for some time now and the question is what will he have to do to get him to go back there get him to be Jacob and his family to be where they're supposed to be and that's what this story is going to be about in Genesis chapter 31 so let's just pick up the text with the opening couple of verses which tell us this Jacob heard that Laban's sons were saying, Jacob has taken everything our father owned and has gained all this wealth from what belonged to our father. And Jacob noticed that Laban's attitude towards him 
was not what it had been. Now you have to remember what happened back in chapter 30 here. Laban wanted Jacob to work for him and they struck a deal wherein they divided up the sheets and goats. Jacob was to take care of the flock but he could keep for himself any speckled, spotted or striped varieties and the odd coloured animals and that that should be the part that should be his wages for caring for the complete flocks. Now Jacob through a combination of his own guile and the providence of God began to prosper and the flocks and herds grew and grew greatly. And at this point the story opens with Laban's son, in other words Jacob's wives' brothers, saying, hey wait a minute, look at Jacob here, he's getting wealthy and that wealth really should have died with our father. But remember the deal was that he could get to keep the odd coloured and striped and speckled sheep and goats. But Laban's sons are saying that the Lord here is really blessing Jacob's and that the flock he owns are really expanding and well these brothers, these sons of Laban, they don't like it at all. What's going on here is nothing more than of course than jealousy but Jacob hears about this, he sees the attitude and the countenance of his father change towards him and it bothers him. Jacob noticed Laban's attitude is changing towards him and in fact the King James and some of the other translations give away the fact that Laban's facial attitude changes away uh, from Jacob. He's no longer favourable towards him. Jacob is making all this money, to put it in modern parlance, and the brothers think, you know what, this is being done at our expense. So Jacob sees the unfavourable family situation playing out before him and thinks, you know, this is not good, this is not going to end well. So let's keep reading. Verse 3 says, Then the Lord said to Jacob, Go back to the land of your fathers and to your relatives, and I will be with you. So now this third factor emerges into the story, in that the Lord comes along and Jacob and says, You know what? It's time you went back home. I want you back home. Remember, the homeland from when he came is the land to which he had been promised, and that God had promised to give him and to always remain with him there. So on top of this unfavourable situ family situation developing, Jacob also is seen to get a direct word from the Lord, and that word is to head back to his homelands. So the ducks are all lining up, aren't they? The signs are all lining up and saying, it's time to go back home, Jacob. The narrative then says in verse 4, so Jacob sent word to Rachel and Leah to come out to the field where the flocks were. He said to them, I see that your father's attitude towards me is not what it was before, but the God of my father has been with me. You know I have worked for your father with all my strength, yet your father has cheated me, changing my wages ten times. However, God has not allowed him to harm me. Continuing on with the text, if he said... The speckled ones will be your wages, then all the flocks gave birth to speckled young. And if he said the streaked ones will be your wages, then all the, the, the flocks bore streaked young. So God has taken away your father's livestock and given them to me. In breeding season, I once had a dream in which I looked up and saw that the male goats mating with the flock were streaked, speckled or spotted. The angel of God said to me in the dream, Jacob, and I answered, here I am. 
And he said, Look up and see that all the male goats mating with the flock are streaked, speckled, or spotted, for I have seen all that Laban has been doing to you. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar, and where you made a vow to me now. Now leave this land at once and go back to the native land. Now, I covered off last time that this clearly reveals that although God used Jacob's personality, the the blessing and the multiplication of the crops did in fact come by, through and by the providence of God. It was not Jacob's scheming that successfully brought about his wealth and prosperity. Now, we'll just pause for a second here because of all the stuff that's happening it's quite a, a lot of narrative to take in but the bottom line is he has now decided he's going to go back home but remember Laban's two daughters are his wives so Jacob calls the wives and say come out with me into the field so I think this suggests there's going to be a private little meeting outside where he will explain in great detail what they probably already knew because in effect they had witnessed so this text I've read is the narrative where he and in essence describes these events to them and they remember the fact and he reminds him of the fact that he made a deal with his father and that his father has kept changing the conditions of that in fact it tells us here that they've been changed 10 times so by reminding them of all the twists and turns and reminding them that was it was in fact the lord that still in spite of the machinations of the father had multiplied their flocks and herds reminding them of all this particularly telling them look it is the lord that brought us all this prosperity so in effect he's explaining to them and he says that in the process of all this the lord is now come before me appeared to me and spoke to me and said it's now time to return to my homeland and he also reminds them that the promise is that if he goes there, the promise is that the Lord will be with him always. So let's see how they reply to this, Rachel and Leah. It tells us, Then Rachel and Leah replied, Do we still have any share in the inheritance of our father's estate? Question mark. Does he not regard us as foreigners? Not only has he sold us, but he has used up what was paid for us. Surely all the wealth that God took away from our father belongs to us and our children. So do whatever God has told you. So Rachel and Leah answer him and said to him, Well, on one level there's still an inheritance due to us from our father's house. So they get the message, we've got to go and where to go. But they also say, you know, we're going to go back to your home. But there's a sense of injustice there that they feel that they still should have had an inheritance. Now the father of these women had tried to deceive Jacob many times and they recognize that and they also say by doing that to you he was treating us his daughters as strangers. Remember the deal that was made with Jacob. Jacob wanted Rachel and he had to work seven years to get her but Laban deceived him so he then had to work another seven years to get her because he gave him Leah instead. So these girls are saying look we now recognize our father didn't actually treat us like daughters. He didn't give us a dowry with us, as was expected. He treated us like strangers because he effectively sold us to you the opposite of what he was meant to do. So at this point, there's no love lost between the daughters and their father. And they say, you know what? We're with you, Jacob. Whatever God says to you to do, do it and we'll go with you. 
So that's the story so far. But do you think Laban's going to let this go happen very easily? Do you think they're just going to go to the father and say, we've decided to go back with Jacob to Jacob's homeland? Do you think Laban's going to accept that? Based on anything we know about him so far, do you think that that seems very likely? Doesn't seem likely to me, does it? So they decide that they're going to go and probably recognizing that truth, they decide to get out of town after dark. So let's pick up the story in verse 17. Then Jacob put his children and his wives on camels, and he drove all the livestock ahead of him, along with the goods he had accumulated in Padan Aram, to go to his father Isaac in the land of Canaan. When Laban had gone to shear his sheep, Rachel stole her father's household gods. Moreover, Jacob deceived Laban, the Aramean, by not telling him he was running away. So he fled with all he had and crossed the Euphrates River, and headed for the hill country of Gilead. So like I said, they've got out of town and they do it under cover of darkness. But did you notice in the middle of those few verses what I just read? A rather odd part to this story. So I wonder if something's jumped out at you over these verses that I've just read. Did you notice it says that she took something? She stole something, in fact, some of the translations say. And what did she take? idols household gods what in the world did she do that for in the first place what actually were these household gods and then why did she take them now you can imagine if you go back and delve through some commentaries they seem to go crazy try to explain this text and that's not surprising because the text doesn't really tell us much more than the basic fact that she took them as a matter of fact, both the ancient Jewish commentaries and old Christian commentaries have come up with many different suggestions. Some say she took the idols, not as idols, but they took them because they would have been made of precious metals and they would have added an intrinsic value so she could melt them down and maybe sell them or something. Another possibility is the suggestion that she was trying to break her father from his idolatry. That's probably the most favourable interpretation you can find of these events. It seems, according to this view, that her plan was to take the idols and her father wouldn't have been able to be an idolater anymore. Another suggestion that appeared in more recent times is that she did it because she was, in a sense, she took the idols for her own personal use. One commentator I read said that though Rachel had a measure of faith in the one true God, we know from the events of the previous chapter, it would seem that uh, as a daughter of her father, she would have been intimately attached to her father's religious practices. And now with Jacob, she had sort of divided religious alliances. So in a sense, yes, she seemed to have come before the Lord, but also she was clinging on to something from the past. Now, probably the superstition and not wishing to be deprived of any good luck that the idols of her father, uh, she might have believed, would confirm upon them. And by the way, Laban's family did worship false gods alongside the true gods. That is clear from the text. Now, this just seems like a mind-bending contradiction to many of us today. But apparently in the Old Testament, this has seemed to happen more than once. 
Now, I know that the, we need to accept that this kind of thing still happens today, and not just on the Christian mission field in foreign lands where we see the introduction of Christianity then get mixed with the local tribal religions. Make no mistake that this also happens in the Western Church even today, where people get the Christian faith mixed in with their existing false teaching. Now, there are some Bible teachers these days who say that it's not possible if you're a Christian. You can't do that. But my response to that is, well, if you read the Bible with both eyes open, it appears to happen there on several occasions. And if it can happen then, surely it can happen today. The Bible never says that this is a good thing. It just recognizes that it happens. In fact, it clearly suggests it's quite the opposite. It is not the right thing to happen. But we have to ask ourselves honestly, how many Christians today still hold on to some of their old worldly superstition? One more comment by another modern commentator said, although she trusted in Jacob, Jacob's God, she was also apparently reluctant to give up her previous superstitions. So maybe just at nothing else, it was like people trusting in good luck charms, which many do today incorrectly maybe she thought by taking these things along with her in some way it would help them on their journey or when they got to the new home in the land that they were going to and you know this attitude is a little different to many christians today and particularly new christians today who take a time to drop off some of their worldly ideas they're happy to know the lord but they're not willing yet to separate off from the old superstitions and the ways of the world. But you know what? That's the whole purpose of the Christian discipleship. Our call to disciple new believers is the thing that will address those issues. We're called to help by training people to follow the correct path after they've made an initial commitment to follow the Lord. Even today, some people who really know the Lord appear to me to hang on to their idols. Now, sometimes their idols might be materialism or money or fame or greed, but they still hang on to their superstitions and their ideas, their worldly ideas. All right, that's the story so far. It's simply that to see Jacob decided for a whole bunch of reasons to get out of town, but primarily because the Lord told him to. He convinces his wives to come with him and they leave town without Laban even knowing. But the only little caveat to this tale, the only little sting is that Rachel takes some of the family's religious idols with her. I wonder how that will work out. Well, we'll find out next time. Okay, friends, that's it for today. Thank you so much for joining me. I'd like to remind you that you've access to all of my teaching and the various links to find it in all the different places on the episode notes of this podcast. There will also be a link there to my Patreon page where my plan is to put some discipleship courses to help people along their journey of faith. I'm going to be looking at things like church history, but the, the main one, the first one that's going on there uh, in, a, in about two months' time, I trust, is a course to help anybody that would want to develop their gift of preaching through the method of expository preaching. In other words, working through the Word of God and taking it within the context as it was written. So if you feel that that's something that would benefit you, 
pop over to the Patreon, sign up there, and you'll have access to that course and other teaching materials that I make available, exclusive content I only make available there, particularly the talks that I do in secular environments where I try to find, to go to people where they are at their point of needs and try and bring the Christian message into their interests and areas of expertise. I've given talks in the past to places like art societies and talks about science and psychology and even some stuff about identity and mental health. And these talks are really pretty much only available on my Patreon website. By becoming a patron, you not only support the ministry, this main ministry, which is to allow the Bible Project podcast to be on the internet and stay on the internet, as a free resource for whoever might want to access it, but you also got access to some exclusive material as well. Another point worth making is that if you feel you're benefiting from this and enjoying it, then why not consider liking it or sharing it uh, on, on whatever platform you happen to be listening to or the social media that you use. That really helps get this message out there amongst more people and allows more people to have the life-changing power of the Word of God in their lives in a way that they might come personally to know the Saviour, God's Son, Jesus Christ. But anyway, friends, that's it for this time. I hope that you personally are benefiting from having the rhythm of the Bible in your daily lives. And a just quick final thank you again, because I really couldn't do this without you. I see the numbers, the thousands of people who are listening to that and to this, and that is a wonderful encouragement to me. But I couldn't do it out, like Jacob, without the Lord, without the prompting from him, and I couldn't do it without your prayerful encouragement. So thanks for that, friends. And I do hope I'll see you back here again very soon as we work together and continue through this uh, amazing book, the Bible, the Word of God. Bye for now.